Today, we're going to talk about purchasing your first ever rental property. What should you look for? How do you know if you found a good investment? And what do you need to do to avoid turning it into a money pit? For first-time investors, there's many programs available, such as FHA funding, that can be used in order to purchase a rental property. Basically, government-backed loans that require a much smaller down payment than if you were to purchase an investment property using an investment type of loan. You may only need to put down a few thousand dollars in order to actually purchase the home. One important consideration is if you purchase a home using an FHA loan, you are required to live in the home for at least a year. If you already have a home that you're already living in and you're not planning on moving into the rental home, then a conventional mortgage where you may have 20% down, potentially if it was considered more of a commercial loan, you may end up having to go even as high as 40% down. And this is one of the reasons that so many people use the FHA option when financing their home. So what many beginning investors do is they will purchase a duplex, a triplex, or a fourplex, rent the property out to other people, have them pay their mortgage for them, essentially. It gives you practice in managing properties. You can keep an eye on your tenants, make sure that there's no surprises, undisclosed pets, or things that can potentially cause a lot of damage to your property. And essentially what that does is it allows you to save up a down payment on your next rental home. Now, unless you have like mountains of cash laying around, one of the things that most of us are going to have to do is get a loan for our properties. One of the things that you really need to get a handle on right away is going to be your credit score. Simply stated, your credit score is going to be one of the most important things that determines exactly how profitable you can be in building your rental portfolio. The lower your credit score is, the higher your interest rates are going to be, and the less money that you can borrow. That means that you're going to have larger down payments, higher payments, and less profit on every dollar that you get in rent. That also means that your overall return on cash is going to be significantly lower. As a realtor, I can tell you one of the most important things that you can have is what's called a pre-approval or pre-qualification. Now, before you start looking at rental properties, it's really important that you go to a reputable mortgage broker or your local bank partner yourself with a good ethical local mortgage broker, they're going to be able to give you advice on things like making sure that your credit is in order, knowing exactly where your credit score needs to be, exactly what kind of properties that you qualify for. Now, they can do some basic pre-qualifications with doing some very light background on you. What that's going to do is it's going to tell you exactly how much money that you can borrow. A lot of times what you're going to find is in rental properties, the nicer the home is, the longer the tenants tend to stay, the more rent you can typically charge, and the more appreciation that you're going to realize in this home in the long term. Personally, I believe it is extraordinarily important to talk to your financial partners early in the process because they're your partner. They're going to be there with you from start to finish in making the purchase of your home and are going to be one of the most important people that's on your team making sure that you're making a purchase that's going to be profitable for you in the long term. If you don't already know your credit score, your FICO, FICO score is what's used by mortgage lenders a lot of times with, if you go get an auto loan, if you apply for a credit card, things like that. Now, the Vantage score through Credit Karma is useful if you're using it to track your credit score over time. That being said, if you have a 750 on your Credit Karma score, that doesn't mean when you go apply for a mortgage 
that they're going to view you as having a 750 score. You can actually get a pretty good idea what your FICO score is. One way is you can go online to the different credit bureaus like Experian and TransUnion. The second easiest way, if you have a credit card that has an online account, they'll actually have in your online app or on their website, a place where you can actually go see what your FICO 8 score is. If you're looking at getting into rental properties and you have a very low credit score, 450, 550, 650, you're going to have a pretty difficult time getting a really preferential rate on a mortgage. But you don't have to have a perfect score to qualify for a mortgage. A lot of times you can still qualify for things like those government-backed programs like FHA, VA, and things like that. Just because you feel like you may not have a super strong credit score doesn't mean that you shouldn't at least give it a try. Another reason that it is really important that you get your pre-qualification before you start looking at properties is if you're looking to really truly partner with a realtor, getting really that inside scoop that you really can't find on places like Zillow, you're going to need to have that pre-approval. A realtor operates on a commission-only basis, so basically they can't really afford to spend a lot of time with you if they can't prove to themselves that you are a qualified buyer. Another reason that this is important is that if you are actually making an offer on a home, let's say you go out on the first day that you're looking at houses and you just get really lucky and you find the perfect home at the perfect price in the perfect neighborhood that will have a really fantastic return on investment. Whenever you're putting an offer in on a house, you need to always be aware that there's usually going to be multiple offers on that home. Some of them may be cash offers. Some of them may be financing through a conventional mortgage. Some of them may be financing through FHA or VA. Now, a buyer is going to take all of the offers that are submitted to them, and they're going to choose the one that is the that is basically viewed the strongest in their opinion. They're going to look at a couple of factors. One, obviously, is your ability to financially finish the transaction. Another thing that they're going to look at very strongly is, is are you offering the most money? Are you able to actually finish the transaction? How many inspections are you going to be requiring? What other contingencies are you putting into the purchase of the home? And a lot of times what your buyer is going to do is they may not always pick the highest bid. They're going to pick a relatively high bid that gives them a quick close and a very high likelihood that there's not going to be a major hangup that will prevent the home from selling. Another very important factor that you need to take into consideration is exactly what kind of a home do you want to purchase? Some real estate investors are really focused on the long-term appreciation of the home, basically building some equity in the home and knowing that over a course of 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, that the home itself is going to appreciate in value. Other investors are looking for a very cash flow positive short-term investment. So basically what they may be looking for is a property that will cash flow immediately and give them a savings so that they can go on and purchase additional properties relatively quickly. Now, the other people are only looking for things like multifamily, apartment buildings, larger and larger scale properties. If you are looking to purchase a home that you're looking for, say, quick cash flow, one of the ways to do that is to purchase a very inexpensive home. You take less money down, your payment is going to be lower, and you may be able to collect quite a bit more rent than what your payment is. Some people are looking for very short-term cash flow. If that's what you're looking for, a lot of times people will look for inexpensive homes in maybe even lower income neighborhoods where rents tend to be high in relation to the property values. 
And a lot of times those homes will be rented out even through governmental programs like Section 8. Other investors are focused much more on the long-term appreciation of their homes, and they may be more interested in investing in middle-class or even upper-class type homes, larger homes where maybe you're going to put a very large investment in the house. Instead of looking at a house that's forty dollars or $50,000, they may be looking at a home that is four hundred dollars or $500,000. Many times those homes are not going to be cash flow positive in the short term as much, but where they may be a much better return in the long term is if they appreciate at a greater rate. Now, I can't tell you which is the right path for you. I've had some customers that really enjoy working with the Section 8 market. They enjoy providing housing to underserved neighborhoods. They enjoy the fact that they can purchase a lot of these houses many times in a short period of time and really build a very large portfolio of investment properties. Other people really prefer to concentrate on a very small number of properties that are appreciating at a much higher value and that may be very easy to sell down the road if they ever need to cash out. Another thing that I think is very important is knowing what rents are going for in the area that you're investing in. Remember, when you're purchasing a rental property, this is an investment. So knowing the numbers is really probably the most important thing that you can do for yourself. You need to have a goal in mind financially, and you need to work your plan backwards from what your goal is. So one of the key things you need to know is how much are rents going for in your area? There's a couple ways you can look this up. One, you can go look on places like Craigslist. You can look on places like Facebook Marketplace, do Zillow, even talking to local realtors in your area who do work with renters. Check for homes of similar size, style, quality, age, and see basically what would it take to rent that house. For instance, let's say that you find that rents in your area for a 1,000-square-foot home is a $1,000 a month. Rents for a 2,000-square-foot home are $2,000 a month. Then you basically can figure out that rent is going for about a dollar per square foot. And any homes that you're looking at, if you're finding a 1,200 square foot home, 1,500 square foot home, 2,500 square foot home of similar like kind and quality to the other homes in the same neighborhood, you would be fairly confident in assuming that those homes may still follow that multiple. Another reason that it's very important to know what your rental rates are is you can't figure out what any of the other cash flow items are going to be prior to making an offer if you don't know what rents are going for in the area. One of the things that I think is hardest for a lot of newer investors is it's very easy to look at properties and fall in love with one and then find out that the numbers don't work and then you purchase the property anyways. One of the things that I think really separates investors from hobbyists is having that self-discipline to not make the purchase when the numbers just don't work out. Investors will look at the houses, run the numbers, look at the worst case scenario, and only make the offer on the houses that make financial sense. Now I'm going to take a look at an online rental calculator. This is going to give us a very good initial idea of what it might look like to invest in a rental property. Now let's say we found a property that we really like, it's $100,000. We're able to do this at a 3% down payment because we were able to do a FHA mortgage. We have an interest rate of 5%. Let's up that to 7%. And we were able to get a 30-year mortgage on this home. $3,000 in closing cost and a 
property tax $3,000, insurance $1,000 a year, HOA fee $1,200 per year. And we're also estimating that there may be some annual increases on each of these. Now, let's say that this particular house, that's a $100,000 house, and we're able to get $1,000 a month out of it in rent. And then we have a 3% annual increase built into that. Uh, whenever you're doing your rental uh, contracts with your tenants, you should always plan for rent increases. When it comes to vacancy rate, I feel like there's a tendency to be very overly optimistic about this. In my experience in rental houses, if you have really nice quality houses, decent middle-class homes, people do tend to stay for a very long time. Your renter may get married, they may get divorced. At some point, the home is going to be vacant and it's going to need to be turned around. That means that you may have to do some cleanup, you may have to do some remodeling, things like that. And that's also going to be part of my expected maintenance cost over here. If I have that house for 20 years and have a renter in it, and I'm going to have a $20,000 turn on this house, basically refurbishing, uh, that could account for my $2,000 a year right there. Now, the other thing it's important to account for is what is the value appreciation of the house? Uh, This particular model here is showing a 3%. You know, I'm going to say that that's probably going to be a little bit on the low end. I'll just bump it up to 5%. Holding length, 20 years. Holding length should be, if you're doing rental houses, a very, very long time. 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years to maximize that overall return on your investment. And then cash out at retirement or potentially pass the equity on to future generations. Now, for your 20 years that you have invested on this property, you have a rate of return of 7.89% per year. Your total profit when sold, $167,000. Cash on cash return is going to be 1,048.25%. You've made a very small investment into a $167,000 profit, $175,000 in rental income off this house, even though it was only a $100,000 house with a per month initial rent and a total net operating income of $76,000. Instead of a $100,000 house, we're looking at a $200,000 house. The down payment, 10%. Monthly rent on the $200,000 house, $2,500 per month. We're going to say that our repair cost, $5,000. And I did forget to mention the value after repairs. If you're making repairs that increase the value of like new carpets, new kitchen, that can actually positively impact the value of the home, this is going to be worth $210,000 after the repairs. Taxes are going to be higher on the $200,000 house. Let's say they're $6,000. And then insurance, $1,200 per year. The value appreciation on this house, instead of being 5%, is going to be 8% because it's a little better house. It's worth twice as much to begin with. Now, if you look here, the difference between this house and the other one is we are $15,000 net operating income on year one. Total profit when sold, $886,000. Total cash on cash returns, 3,165%. Total rental income on this one was 689. Total net operating income on this was $404,000. A lot of people, when they're looking at rental properties, will gravitate towards very, very inexpensive homes. And then 
the problem with that is that you're losing out on that long-term return on investment. Do one more example. Let's say you have a 250,000 duplex. Monthly rent, each side is 1,500, $3,000 per month. And then what you'll notice is that you end up with almost $1.2 million in total profit when sold, 3,145% uh, return on your initial cash and $20,000 in net operating income. So basically, the more units you have under a single roof, typically the less your maintenance costs are per unit. You're only paying for one structure with two units in there. A lot of times your overall investment is going to be a lot better. Your return can be fantastic, but you do really want to make sure when you're evaluating a rental house before you decide whether this is one you want to make a purchase on, if you're purchasing a house as an investment, it is very important that you look at all of those factors and you can even use those to negotiate lower purchase price on the home because if you know that that roof needs to be replaced in five years and you know that it is a $20,000 replacement on that roof, you can use that as an informed investor as leverage when purchasing your house to help get your overall initial investment down and actually to help you uh, basically plan for that expense down the road. Uh, the worst thing that you can do is purchase a house, pay full price for it, uh, just as if it was a freshly renovated home, expecting that roof to last for 30 years, and then two years in it fails and needs a complete tear-off and replacement. That can really change the overall dynamics of your investment. Another thing that is very important when you're purchasing a home is to plan for things like closing costs. Ask your realtor what typical closing costs are in your area. In certain jurisdictions, a lot of that may be taken care of by the seller. and some situations, a lot of it may be by the buyer. That can depend on what type of financing you're using and things like that. A conventional loan, a cash purchase, an FHA or VA loan. They all may have slightly different rules on exactly who pays how much of the purchase cost. If you may have, you know, PMI insurance for your mortgage, those things you need to make sure that you're taking into consideration when making your purchase offer. Point of sale inspections. Uh, most places... Uh, you'll have different inspections that need to be done. They're mandated by the municipality that your home is in, the county, or even the state. Some very common ones are if you're in a rural area, uh, they may have septic inspections that need to be done prior to the home actually transferring. If you're in a more urban area where you have city water and sewers, a lot of times they'll have things like dye tests. So in some places, these kind of inspections are really simple. They'll drop a little bit of dye and run some water in a downspout run some dye in the toilet, they go out by the street and then pull the cap off of the sewer out by the street and they see if the red dye comes out in the pipe that it's supposed to and the blue dye comes out in the pipe that it's supposed to. Now in other places, and I've had this happen to a client of mine a few years ago who was selling a house that they had had for over 20 years as an investment property. When they purchased the house, they did the toilet and downspout type of tests. So in the 20 some years that they had the house, the code changed, and now all of the storm and sanitary sewers had to have cleanup pipes outside. And basically what that meant is that we couldn't get these homes through the point of sale without actually digging down to those sewers and installing the cleanup pipes. And it costs somewhere between ten dollars to $20,000 to dig them up, put the pipe in, and fill everything back in 
just so an inspector could come out, drop a few drops of dye in. Now, in some municipalities, point of sale inspections are going to be looking at things not just like sewers or drains. They may also be looking at things like, is the roof okay? Is there a leaky basement? Especially areas where they are trying to reinvigorate a neighborhood. Uh, they may have very strict point of sale inspections that are requiring a home, even if it is, you know, 50, 60, 80, 100 years old, they may be requiring that home to be brought up to current code levels prior to making that sale. It is very important if you are purchasing to understand exactly who is responsible for bringing those items up to code. And these are all things that your realtor should be able to help you with as long as you're using a realtor who has experience in the neighborhood that you are working in. Another thing that's very important is to always have a plan on making repairs and updates to your home after you've purchased it. A lot of people purchase a home, expect to put it on the market and have somebody rent it and not put any money into it. And sometimes that can work out all right, but for the most part, that tends to be a fairly unrealistic idea. Houses are always changing. They're basically living things in many ways. Just because something was working fine the day that you had an inspection doesn't mean that it'll be fine a week later, a month later, six months later. Always plan on having additional repairs because time is money. Have a contractor ready, willing, and available to work on this home. The faster that you can get somebody scheduled on the job and out of that house, the faster that you can get it back on the market. Now that you've finished purchasing the home and renovating it, now you need to find a tenant. Basically, to do this, it's pretty straightforward. You can just take really good pictures of the home. I always recommend if you don't have a quality camera and where you have a wide angle lens where you can get bright, beautiful pictures of this house, hire a photographer that's experienced in doing real estate photos. The realtor you worked with may have somebody that they can recommend. One key thing in real estate is the prettier the pictures are, the faster that you get people in wanting to look at this house. If you have two homes for rent, one of them looks like an absolute gem in the pictures. The other one just looks kind of so-so. The one that looks beautiful in those pictures is going to get a lot more renters interested. The more renters that you have to choose from, the pickier that you can be in finding somebody that's going to be a good match for you to rent that home. It's very expensive to move people out, to evict them, to have to re-renovate this house after they move out. So I find it to be very, very important to make sure that you get a quality renter the first time. The more you have to choose from, the better. So really, really good pictures is really probably one of your number one priorities before you advertise the home. Next is where you're going to advertise it. I usually have had pretty good luck using places like Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. As a realtor, I can put them in the local MLS. Then they go out on places like Zillow and Realtor.com. And basically, you know, have additional realtors who are willing to help me find tenants. They'll be able to actually work with me. I'll pay them a commission. Usually it's like one month of rent, something that's not too terrible in order to help get somebody in that house. And that's really a good way to get somebody in there quickly. Another thing that I cannot stress enough is it is extraordinarily important to screen your tenants. Now, before you screen your tenants, it's really important to understand your local laws and regulations. Number one, you do not want to go afoul of fair housing regulations. You want to make sure that you're not doing anything that can be construed as being discriminatory in any way, shape, or form. So the top two criteria that you're going to want to look for in a tenant is one, the ability to make their payments on time and regularly. You have a mortgage to pay on your home. It is extraordinarily important that your tenant is paying you on time 
they can afford to pay the rent. Another reason that it is so important to screen your tenants is that the only thing more expensive than an unrented home is a home that's rented to a nightmare tenant. Another consideration is, of course, when you're doing your background screening, uh, check with an attorney first, make sure that what you're doing is legal in your particular jurisdiction and that you're being compliant with any fair housing guidelines. Most landlords will do things like screen for creditworthiness, criminal background history, things like that. It's very important to make sure that they have a history of paying their bills, paying them on time, and especially paying their rent on time. So it's important that you do things like check references of prior landlords, maybe take a drive past the house to see if they're exhibiting a pride of ownership, so to speak, over the home that they have currently, and that you don't see things like two or three dogs that are undisclosed that they're going to try to sneak into your house. There's not a bunch of trash or junk in the yard, things that could come back to really harm your investment in the future. The bottom line here is at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you're bringing a tenant in that's going to treat your house like their home. Congratulations, you're the proud owner of a bouncing baby rental property. It's time to start collecting your rent, building equity, enjoying the tax benefits from being a landlord, and start looking for that next rental property. As you build equity, as you build appreciation in your house, so you're building equity two different ways. You're building it through the payments that you're making on your mortgage, you're building it through the appreciation of your property, and you're also getting tax benefits through things like depreciation. If you have a rental house and a primary house, or if you've done this as a duplex, you may be looking to purchase a new home for yourself. You can maybe rent the home that you're in now as you make the new purchase. As you build equity in your houses, a lot of people will borrow money out of those houses instead of selling them to create larger pools of cash to make other purchases down the road. Now, there's a lot of tools that you have as a real estate owner and as an investor that allow you to accelerate the building of your own personal net worth. Don't forget to like and subscribe and don't forget to hit that bell so that you get notified of any new videos we bring out. Make sure and leave a comment in the comments section. Share this on your social media. I'd love to have comments because if you have any questions, if you have additional information, something you think that I really got wrong or that I missed, let us know about it. Again, don't forget to share, comment, like, and subscribe. And thank you for watching.